Well, good morning. Take your copy of God's Word today and open it to Psalm 68. We are going to be in Psalm 68 uh, for this Sunday and another two Sundays as we sort of slow down in our work through Psalms. This Psalm is, is rich. I don't want to miss any of it. And so we're just going to be looking at the first 10 verses today. And so as you find your place, uh, I welcome you, whether you're online watching or whether you're here. The way we work here at, at Battleground Community Church is we work through passages of Scripture and books of the Bible, and we work all the way through it, um, one verse, one section at a time. Uh, we, don't, we don't rush through the Word of God. And then as a response to the Word of God, we, we stand up and we respond. We respond through commitment, through repentance, through worship, through giving at the tables, and also through communion. And so if you're a child of God, if you're redeemed, if you're born again and in good standing with Christ and his church, we welcome you to the tables, whether you're a member of this church or not. And we will respond all together. You don't have to wait for anything. Um, we'll sing two songs at the end of worship, and you respond to the Lord as the Lord leads. That's what we do every Sunday here. And uh, So let's stand to our feet. Stand to our feet. Psalm 68, we don't stand to our feet out of some kind of uh, dead tradition. We stand to our feet because we are telling each other what we believe about Scripture. That when the Word of God speaks, God is speaking to His people. And so let us hear what He says to us today. Uh, Psalm 68, beginning at verse 1. God shall arise, His enemies shall be scattered... And those who hate him shall flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so shall you drive them away. As wax melts before fire, so the wicked shall perish before God. But the righteous shall be glad. They shall exult before God. They shall be jubilant with joy. Sing to God. Sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord. Exult before him. Father of the fatherless and protector of the widows is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. O oh God, when you went before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, the earth quaked. Heavens poured down rain before God, the one of Sinai, before God, the God of Israel, rain in abundance. O oh God, you shed abroad. You restored your inheritance as it languished. Your flock found a dwelling in it. In your goodness, O oh God, you provided for the needy. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Lord, as... We studied this passage this week, the whole chapter, Lord. There's just so much goodness to rush through it. And so, Lord, we just ask for your help because even with these 10 verses, there's, there's things that I can't touch that I want to and things that I need to touch that I don't want to skip. And so, Lord, help me. Lord, help us. Lord, sometimes it's, it's hard to focus in on, on, on this day. The, sometimes the only day we have to sort of slow down. And so, Lord, but we are your redeemed. We gather to your place here to be encouraged, to learn from you. 
And so, Lord, teach your people in court, encourage us, correct us, orient us toward praise, toward thanksgiving of what you have done in our life in the past, what you've done in the people that came before us in the past, and how that teaches us how you're going to respond in the future. Lord, we trust you, we love you, and uh, teach us now in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is a psalm of David. David is remembering a time long ago. Uh, remember, Jewish people and, and many other cultures that's, that's around even today uh, don't really think individualistically like we Americans do. Uh, we have to strain sometimes to, to get in the mindset. But he's remembering what God has done through his people long ago. And, and to think about it this way, God's people are on the move. This is, as it were, a travel narrative from Egypt to Sinai through the desert. And from David's perspective, you see, he's just not following the people to the promised land. He's following the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem at Zion. So that's his travel narrative. It's not going to end because he's a part of it. He's connected to this people. And God is on the move. His people are on the move. God's presence is on the move. This is a rich psalm. This is a complicated psalm. It's got both history in it. It's got poetry in it. It's got these, as Micah was talking about, these names of God that has both a, a character and an action attached to it. I love westerns. My wife does not. And... uh and probably the whole family don't, but sometimes we watch them anyway because I got the remote. And, uh, <laughs> it, but it's a common plot narrative in Westerns. Uh, these people in this wagon that need to go to somewhere maybe beautiful, and brother's telling me come from Colorado. They, you know, they're traveling somewhere like Colorado, you know, and, and they have to go a long way. And so they get like an old guy who's been to Colorado many times. And they get a couple guys with guns that's going to protect them. And they're on their way. Why do they need all of that? Because what they're going to run into on the way is a hostile territory. And they're going to have hostility sometimes by, by nature, sometimes with people. They're going to have enemies. They're going to have trials. They know it. The dudes who've already been through it know it. They're going to take these people to a place that we want to go. That's what the psalmist is remembering. A people who went through all of that and came safely to the place where God told them to be. This story, this travel narrative is your travel narrative. If you're born again in Christ, you were once a slave to sin and you were led out of captivity toward freedom and God's grace-filled presence has been with you through your whole life and will be till He takes you safely home. And so we have to be grateful today, not only for God's grace in our life, but for God's grace in the lives of those who came before us because if His grace wasn't in their life, you wouldn't even exist. Amen? That's what he's remembering in this psalm. And I know we just think me, mine, my family, but that's not the way the psalmist thinks. And we cannot think that way. And praise God, God doesn't think that way. We praise him for his preserving grace not only in our lives, but for our parents' life and their grandparents' life and for people that we don't even know that had a purpose and a plan and filled it with courage and grace. Our destiny and our 
journey is filled with all kinds of things, just like God's people is. But, but, it's not Israel that's the point here. It's not even the journey with all the hardships and all the blessings. It is about this mighty Father today who passionately provides, even wars for. And listen, sometimes he wars against them because he's going to accomplish his purpose through them. He's a good father. All of our life depends on this. His purposes will not fail. And he has stamped his name on me. It's good news. So main idea, same main idea for the next three weeks. Our God is a powerful father, a passionate provider, and a mighty warrior king bringing his people to a place of rest, worship, and action as we display our God to a broken world. This week we're just looking at powerful father. A powerful father. If you want to squeeze this out today, the goodness out of the next three weeks, then notice as I go through, because I don't have time to slow down on all of them. Notice God's character as you read this. And notice that his character always leads to an action that we are responsible to follow. And the first one we see, that we follow a God and a father who rises up. He rises up. Verse 1, God shall arise. He is a God that rises. Is there anything in your life worth standing up for? Does anything make you angry? Does anything make you passionate? What makes you rise up? We live in a culture where we're just supposed to be all nice. And we forget there's things worth fighting for, yes, even dying for. (laughs) My dad taught me this in a simple way. You may think this is a silly illustration. But for a child, this was profound. Sitting in the backyard with my daddy one day, and a couple of boys came down the street with a pellet rifle. And our our yard's fenced in. My little bulldog goes running to the fence like he always does. He goes to barking, and they shot my dog. You know, he goes to hollering. What he didn't know was my daddy was in the backyard. So my, my daddy, I don't remember how old he was, probably 40s, he, go, he commences to run into them two boys who were on the other side of the fence. He scares them to death. So they start running, and he's right behind them. He jumps the fence, and he chases them all the way up to their house. And he had a little word with them. They didn't do that again. What did he teach me that day? That there's some things that God puts in your life that you're in charge of that's worth protecting in your life. And we don't advocate that to anybody. It's not the government's job. It's not other people's job. God has given it to us. (laughs) You will find in your life That if you lose that which is worth fighting for, you will eventually lose that which is worth living for. We have to have something to fight for. God rises up and so do we. Bonhoeffer said, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, It is easier to die for Christ in a moment than to live for him for a lifetime. Isn't that the truth? Dying in a second's easy. Living every day for him. Now that's the hard thing. That's what they're in. They're in a journey. 
Our enemies are not the only thing we rise up for. We rise up in the morning. Why? To provide for our family. Sometimes we rise up in the morning to take care of our health. We rise up in the morning because we're passionate about something. Sometimes it's hunting or fishing or, or playing golf or whatever it is. Something gets us up. The point is you need to take your cues from the unchanging God. This verse 1 again. Look now, look back at verse 1. If Numbers t- is, t- is just simply quoting Numbers 10.35. So it's just a quote. Numbers 10.35 says, Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered. And let those who hate you flee before you. The setting for this is the Jewish people that have been brought out of captivity and are now at Mount Sinai. The the Ark of the Covenant has been built. The tabernacle is there. All the furnishings are in its place. And now God rises up. And when God rises up, the people rise up. When God stops, the people stop. That's the travel narrative. They don't go anywhere without God. They dared not. Remember what Moses said? And he said, y'all can go on. Y'all can just go on by yourself. He said, no, no. Moses said, I'm not going anywhere without you. So from David's perspective, he has got his eye. Like we do, we have our eyes on Christ. We follow the seed through the Bible. What David is following through is the ark. It's what he's concerned about. Where's the presence of God? Uh, in other words, the ark, it'll help you see the narrative in this when you read it, is it like a portable Sinai. It's, it's, the, mountain, it's the mountain on poles that they, they carry the presence of God wherever they go. And so what we're seeing here is a picture of God rising up to defend his people. He rises up as a father, defends their family. And when he does, he scatters the enemies. God shall arise, verse 1, his enemies scattered, and those who hate him shall flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so shall you drive them away. As wax melts before fire, so the wicked shall perish. It's a good thing that our enemies are God's enemies, and God's enemies are our enemies, because that means his victory is our victory. You ever been to one of those wax museums? Got all those scary-looking people in it? The, the picture is this. Your enemies look mighty scary, but God is the fire. You ever, try, you ever set a fire in a bunch of wax? What's going to happen? just turns into nothing. That's what he's saying. That's the enemies. That was the story of how, how insurmountable our enemy looked until God sets the fire. And when he does, he melts them. Fire in Scripture is often a picture of judgment. And so the good news this morning is that Jesus walked through our fire so we'll never have to walk through it. We're redeemed. We're forgiven. We're brought into a family where this is our Father. And this is what He does to our enemies. Good news today. Everything, brothers and sisters, that ever stood between you and God was taken care of by Jesus. It has been melted away. There's nothing in between us. Just listen to this. Hebrews 10, 10. And by, by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Verse 11. 
And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifice, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting until his enemies should be made his footstool. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Our enemies are melted away through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. Our Lord rose up. Amen. And when he rose up, we rejoice, verse 3 and 4. But the righteous shall be glad. They shall exult before God. They shall be jubilant with joy. There's an exclamation point there trying to get us to understand the, the feeling of the song at this point in time. David is happy. He is glad. He is calling his people to worship because of God's mighty acts on behalf of his people through the years. Sing to God, verse 4. Sing praises to him. Look, Look at this picture. Lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord. Exult before him. God is to be rejoiced precisely because he is the Lord. He is supposed to be rejoiced in because precisely because he is the one who, who established that one-sided covenant with Abraham. He is to be rejoiced in because he is the one that was in the burning bush. He was the one that was leading the cloud. He was the one that delivered Goliath into David's hand. He was the one who removed Saul. And he was the one who put David from the, from the shepherd to the king. That was him. Nobody else. It was the Lord. And it was the Lord when Jesus stood up and said, I am. I am the one in the burning bush. I am the one that led the people. I am the one that delivered Goliath. I am him. I am the Lord. Follow me. God is to be displayed here. Notice the way he's displayed. He's to be praised because he is riding the clouds. You've got to think about that, not just read over it. What is that an image of? Strength, sovereignty, constancy. Constancy. He was constant. Think about the storyline. Those that cloud that was there. This this was real again. This is helping your pastor, and I hope it helps you. This gives us present hope. It also gives us future hope. Think about this with me. And their story. When they went to bed at night. What was there? A cloud of fire was there. When they woke up in the morning, what was there? The pillar of cloud was there. His, his presence was always there. It was there when they got up. It was there when they were traveling through the darkness. It was there when they were scared. It was there so they could sleep. New mercies every day. Exodus thirteen twenty one. Listen. And the Lord went before them day by day and a pillar of of cloud to lead them along the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light and they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart before the people. That's their hope. This is why the, the prophet could say in Lamentations, but this I call to mind, Lamentation 321, and therefore I have hope. 
The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says Mapha. So therefore I will hope in Him. This is your present hope. And listen to your future hope. Revelation 1-7 said, Behold, He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him, and all tribes of the earth will well account on Him. Even so, amen. He is our present hope. He is our future hope. They are rejoicing in this one that will take care of them day and night. Feed them, rule them, provide for them, protect them. He will bring them to the land that he promised them. Nothing's going to stop that from happening. David's rejoicing now because the very presence of God, the same God that did that, resides in Jerusalem with him. And so he has hope. So why do I know when I wake up in the morning, God's going to be there? How do I know When I finally close my eyes in death, I will wake up with him. Because God is a God who fathers. That's how we know. 5 and 6, verse 5 and 6, look at it. Father to the fatherless and protector of the widows is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. He leads the prisoners to prosperity but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. He lifts up the powerless. That's what God does. That's his, that's his not only his character. He is powerful. Turning his enemies into melted wax. At the same time, he cares about those that are powerless. And this is, listen, this is simply the logical flow of the Bible. Since this is who God is, this is what His people must be. God's character leads to an action, and listen, so does ours. And inaction is an action that that points to our character. It works in both directions. So who were powerless? He tells us. Sort of the big umbrella word here is the fatherless. You can almost get all of them. But we'll break them down. The fatherless. It's someone whose father has died. In that society, and really, we'll talk about this if we have time. The, uh, our society that, that scorns the fathers is, is what they relied on. The father died, and, and many did. The, the mortality rate then was low. Even today, the male mortality rate is lower than the women's. But this is the picture, even today, those who age out of the orphanage, those who age out of a children's home or the foster care system and have no system of support, they are alone. And to be be alone is a terrifying place to be. And so as the generation came out of Egypt and gradually died away, and as the the plight of slavery made a consequence in this generation, many of them created widows and children without fathers in this group of people that was on a journey. And so God established the law 
Listen, some of you think the law is bad. The law is what cared for these folks. The law put down is God's word. No one was to be without among my people. We are going to care for them. Matter of fact, you can look if you want to or just listen. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, we see the Ten Commandments in the first five verses. I want you to notice that in context. And then let your eyes gaze down to verse 12. Deuteronomy 10 verse 12. Listen to what he says. And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep His commandment and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding today for your good. Now look down at verse 17. For the Lord your God is a God of gods, the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial, who takes no bribe. Verse 18, he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow, and loves the sojourner, and gives him food and clothing. Verse 19, love the sojourner. Do you see that? Did you see the flow of thought? He, God, executes justice for the fatherless, for the widow. He loves the sojourner. He gives them food and clothing. Verse 19, love the sojourner. Therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Verse 20, you shall fear the Lord your God and serve Him and hold fast to Him by His name. He is your praise. He is your God who has done for these these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons, and now he's made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. Because God is mighty, and because God loves the fatherless, love the fatherless. Love the alien. Stop acting like a political pundit and do what the Bible says to do. That's what he's teaching us here. God's character produces an action. And we should care about people precisely because our God cares about them. James 1.27, unless we think this is Old Testament, and oh, I, he don't talk about that, it says religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And that word visit doesn't mean a periodic visit. It means to abide with them. The fatherless, but also the widow. The widow doesn't have a husband to sustain her. There, there was no government system. There was only the people of God here. And so he says these widows who have lost their husbands, who have no, nobody there. A widow is not only one that's lost a husband, oftentimes it's lost every, any means for anyone to be able to take care of her. She is dependent on the on the mercy of God's law in, the, in this day to care for her. This is the harshness, by the way, of slavery. That day, this day. It, it disintegrates the family. It pulls them apart. You read the stories of slavery in our country, and you will see them ripping families apart. 
and selling off children. We can look in our own family heritage and see they listed children in their property. They listed women and families and they disintegrated the home. And we have reaped the whirlwind for such sin. We are called to do just the opposite. We are called to take care of those that are powerless, the fatherless, the widow, and the solitary. Do you see that in verse 6? The solitary. That just means the lonely. It means they have nobody to stand with them. They have no support system in their life for, for whatever reason that is. We remember when we see someone who is lonely that we once were isolated by our sin, but God in His great mercy not only gave us salvation, but gave us a family. He also mentions prisoners, you see that? That doesn't mean people who do bad things and get put in jail. Um, most of the time in the Pentateuch, the first five books, a prisoner is someone who's been unjustly charged. So it's someone who, when, even in Paul's day, you remember when they went to prison, uh, they don't feed them. I don't get my TV. Uh, if nobody brought you something in prison, you just sit there and starve to death. Saying care for them. They've been charged unjustly. Go to their aid. These three groups have, oh, these, these people have three things in common. One, they're vulnerable. Second, God cares about them. And third, God tells us to care for them. This is the song of his heart. This is who God is. That God is not only sovereign and mighty, he is also kind and tender Caring for the most vulnerable in his family. This is the model, by the way, of biblical manhood. He comforts those oppressed. We get in this, don't we, a little glimpse of the king. That every father is a king. Every king is a father. This idea that you put these things together. That we are not supposed to be like the most powerful people in the world. Even the little, the little P powerful people in, in towns. They, here's what they do. I was listening the other day at the coffee shop. Somebody having a meeting over there. Some powerful people having a meeting. And they were talking about how, 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 what a blight the homeless people were. We just need to get them out of our... If we could just get them out of our city, our city would grow. It would be prosperous, really. Really. See, that's the difference. They're always going to be that way, people, people in the world. But God has called us to something better. He uplifts and he comforts. He gives them a family. John Piper said this, man created orphanages, God created families. It's good. God is the Father who provides. He provides. That's what... A good father does. He leads his people. You see verse 7? Oh God, when you went out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, God was a father. He was also the commander-in-chief. It, it wasn't Moses. <laughs> it's God. It was, it was Moses looking up and said, Oh, pillar's moving. Everybody get up. Let's go. Why? Because God's telling them what to do. He's going to God and saying, what do we do now? What do we do with these people? They're whining again. You know, what does Moses do? You got, a couple times he got up in his own flesh and got him in a world of trouble, didn't it? It's better just take it to God and say, God, what do I do now? It's God leading his people. And here's the picture. I want you just to see it in the, in the passage. 
when God comes down, when God rises up, when God shows up, creation has the good sense to respond. When God shows up, everything created. (laughs) Look at it in verse 8. It says, God shows up, the earthquake, the heavens pour down rain before God, the one of Sinai, before God, the God of Israel. Let me just read it for you. Exodus 19, verse 18. Exodus 19, verse 18. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke before the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like a, mount, like a smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain. And Moses went up. Do you see? When God came down, creation had the good sense to bow down. It was, in a sense, as when God shows up in this, in this imagery, that, that creation began to shake. And what comes out of this shaking is blessing for God's people. <laughs> God shows up. Everything starts shaking. What happens? Verse 9, rain in abundance. So God, you shed abroad. God is our leader. God is our protector. God shows up. Creation responds. We are blessed. Rain in abundance. You restored your inheritance. Verse 9. As it languished. This is such a powerful picture. Verse 10. Your flock found a dwelling in it. In your goodness, O God, you provide for the needy. So just pick up these really simple, profound pictures of who God is. God is no stingy father. He's a generous father. Even when he shows up in his holiness and all creation responds, what he does is pour out goodness for his people. So you see both the toughness and the tenderness, both the sovereignty and and the graciousness in God's character. He gave them food. He gave them water. He gave them health. Did not let their shoes wear out. In the hardest times, in the hardest of places, God has always provided. And you know this in your life. No matter what God has called me to do or has called you to do, He has always taken care of His people. God gives them provision. But listen, most importantly, God gives them a home. God gives them a home. You need a home and a heart when you're going through a hard place. You need a home. You need a place of safety. That's what he's saying. The Lord makes us lie down in green pastures with our enemies all around precisely because he is with us. You've got to have a place of safety. And people have to have that. Those people that are troubled, we do, not, we do not shun them off to the professionals. We are the church of God. We are the place that is supposed to provide a place of safety, a place of comfort where it's okay not to be okay. Where you can come in here and you're not preyed on. You're not solicited like I'm trying to be a salesman trying to get something out of you. We're a family. 
Amen? We are here so we can heal and so we can labor together. They need a family. The homeless need a family. The fatherless need a family. The orphan needs a family. The foster child needs a family. They don't need the government. They need us. They need us. God's character produces an action. And so must ours. So what? So what? There's a lot I could say right here. Um, I've been conflicted about this. There's just so much I need to say. But brothers and sisters, there is an urgent call to recover biblical masculinity in our day. And this is the only way we're going to do it. Is to understand God. We were literally at the staff meeting this week trying to figure out like even ways to illustrate the problems that we have with masculinity. Right? I mean, 20 years ago I could have used one illustration, but now it's it's bizarre. I, I mean, how else can we say it? It is somewhere between a man is like a Marvel comic as the standard. And man is like Bruce Jenner, or whatever we want to call Bruce. And, and every kind of thing in the middle. You tell me. You pull up your favorite program. You pull up the movies. You pull up the sitcoms. You pull up anything that we are feeding into our brain that portrays men. And you show me a healthy model that portrays what Scripture is portraying in here. There's not one. We go to school and we pay money to educate our children that it, that it is some kind, some kind of manhood and some kind of thing to be shunned. We call it a patriarchal, male-dominated society. We have been fed a bunch of lies, brothers and sisters. There's not this sense on this one side of this strong male bravado with somebody with a hero complex. But listen, neither is it this, this childlike, fearful, passive, goofball of a man who can't open a cereal box lest his child or his wife do it for him either. Or is it some confused person, man, who embraces a warped sense of womanhood. So what do we do? (laughs) We ask this question. Who's Jesus? Because He shows us how we're supposed to live. Ephesians 5. By the way, oftentimes another passage that we jump down to verse 22 as preachers and Leaders, and we don't read verse 1. <laughs> Ephesians 5 1 says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us, who gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We're supposed to walk in love. Verse Ephesians 5 22 says this, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. 
For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot. And wrinkle, she might be holy and without blemish. The greatest weapon to recover biblical manhood is a biblical understanding of love. A love that provides, a love that protects, a love that sacrifices, a, a love that denies itself. A love like Jesus had for his Father, and a love like Jesus had for his disciples that teach us both headship and leadership. You can learn both from Jesus just by learning how Jesus responded to his father in submission and how Jesus led his people all the way to the cross. To know Christ is to know his servant leadership who led by his actions. He led by his love he led, how do you share the gospel? Jesus did it first and showed it to him. He sent him off to do it. He showed it with his sacrificial leadership. It wasn't just delegating. He's self-giving. He protected them. Look at that in growth group. He provided for them. He worked. Jesus worked. Jesus had a mission. He got up with a purpose. And he never swerved from that purpose. He worked so hard that he got tired and weary. He was tough. He was a man. But he was patient. He was tender. He was strong and courageous. Yet he was humble. This is how we know how to be a godly man. And a godly woman for that matter. But listen. Your children are you are not born knowing how to be a biblical man or a biblical woman. Biblical manhood and biblical womanhood is bestowed. It is bestowed. And so if you've been in a situation to where the family has broken down for some reason, then don't give, don't give, give up. I didn't have a man in my life. I didn't have a husband. I didn't have a dad. I didn't have a mom. You've got the family of God now. And you've got Jesus you learn that manhood is bestowed. People who are retired, you are never retired from making disciples. You are never tired from mentoring because you can bestow manhood to somebody else and womanhood to somebody else. You may not have children, but God calls you to be trained as a biblical man or woman so that you can train others. Entrust to faithful men that which you can entrust to people. A few months ago, I was diagnosed with stage 4 metastatic cancer. Uh, as many, many of you already know, and some of this might be news to you if you're new. Um, just had a heart attack two years ago. About died, and, and now this. And um, the doctors told me to go home and prepare. It was grim. And I can tell you this. 
What I didn't go home over that next week and what we did over the next week was not go home and think about, what am I going to do with this stuff? You know, what about my hobbies? Those things are, what am I going to do? You know, to stand out there in my yard and say, oh, wow, what am I going, what's going, what am I going to do? It was, all that stuff was instantly meaningless. Listen, nor was the first thing my career. As much as it is how I love to be your pastor and I love to preach God's word, the first things I cried out to God was, I am a husband of one and a father of five, and I want to finish that, God. I want to finish it. You gave it to me to do. I want to finish it. Let me finish it. So last week, to the surprise of my urologist, my blood work came back clean. Three months after it was that God has shown me mercy. And I don't know what, what this means. Uh, we'll find out I guess, as the time unfolds. But, but brothers and sisters, God's good news is good news. And God's hand is God's hand. And that's what his point is today. God is a father to you. Just like he was to the children of Israel. Just like he was to David. And just how he is to, has been to me. So he is with you. And that deserves our praise in our lives. All of our leading and guiding and protecting. All of our intercessory praying and our merciful helping. All of our biblical adopting and foster caring. And all our miserable disciplining that we have to do. All of it is informed by an unchanging, all-powerful God who is both the Lord of lords and the Father to the fatherless. And so, this is what Paul could have said anything to the church in Corinth. Listen to what he said. Be watchful. Stand firm in faith. Act like men. Be strong. And all that you do, be done in love. Let's pray. And Lord, that was just the first ten verses. Thank you for your word, God. Thank you that you have been a father to us when we were miserable children to you. And you loved us anyway. At times those corrections were hard and sometimes they still are. And all of us have, have a correction or two ahead of us. Lord, you do it all in love for a purpose. And so, Lord, we love you. We trust you sometimes, though we say honestly, God, we don't understand what you're doing in our life right now. Can we just, some of us, be honest? We don't understand. It's, we're confused, God, some days. But this is what we know we are your children. And you are our good Father. And in that we can rest. In that we can worship. And in that it informs what we are going to do tomorrow. And by your grace the next day. And by your grace ten years from now. Well, God, if you come back tomorrow, may you find us being faithful and so now, Lord, we have just come to enjoy you. To enjoy you through song. 
through lifting up our voices and making a joyful noise to you, a God of our thanksgiving, the God of our pain. We, we, we lay it all bare before you and commit ourselves afresh to you. Lord, when we come and give our offerings, it's not about our money. It's just about us bringing our first and best to you. It's an act of faith. And God, when we come to the tables, we are remembering that we could not rescue ourselves. No more than a child in an orphanage can adopt herself. We could not save ourselves. We could not resurrect our dead souls nor unstop our deaf ears. Lord, you did that. You dropped the scales from our eyes so that we could see you and love you. And you unstopped our ears so that we could hear the beauty of your word. And the beauty of a voice to say, I am yours. And you are mine. And so, Lord, we pray that you would do that work even today with those who watch and to those who sit here, if they've never heard that, that they would repent and put their faith in Jesus Christ even where they sit. And they will be gloriously saved. Because nobody who comes to you is rejected. And so, Lord, we gather now as we worship and we gather to the tables remembering that the work is finished and that we are your family and that one day you're coming back for us. And so let us rejoice in Jesus' name. Amen.